Today I present the words of Archbishop Vigano as they pertain to the third secret of Fatima and our present crisis in the Church. In a recent interview with Robert Moynihan of Inside the Vatican, he had a lot to say about the third secret, and in short endorses the belief that I and the rest of the Catholic commentariat have, that the third secret of Fatima was never truly released, at least in full. He has a lot to say about the correct present situation in the Church. I'll present his words here without further commentary, and only interject with a simplified version of Moynihan's questions. Now, the words of Archbishop Vigano on the third secret of Fatima. The interview begins with Mr. Moynihan asking Vigano about Francis's Ubi et Orbi address, which Moynihan implies overtly was designed for the media, and notes how some of it have compared it to the third secret of Fatima. Vigano responds, Allow me first of all to tell you that I am pleased to give this interview for the faithful of Portugal, whom the Blessed Virgin had promised to preserve in the faith even in these times of great trial. You are a people with great responsibility because you may soon find yourself having to guard the sacred fire of religion, while other nations refuse to recognize Christ as their king and Mary most holy as their queen. The third part of the message that Our Lady entrusted to the shepherd children of Fatima, so that they could deliver it to the Holy Father, remains secret to this day. Our Lady asked for it to be revealed in 1960, but John XXIII had a communique published on February 8th of that year, in which he stated that the Church does not wish to take on the responsibility of guaranteeing the truthfulness of the words that the three shepherd children said the Virgin Mary spoke to them. With this distancing of the Vatican from the message of the Queen of Heaven, a cover-up operation was started, evidently because the content of the message would have revealed the terrible conspiracy against the Church of Christ by its enemies. Until a few decades ago, it would have seemed incredible that we would reach the point that even Our Lady could be silenced. But in recent years, we have also witnessed attempts to censor the gospel itself, which is the word of her divine son. In 2000, during the pontificate of John Paul II, Cardinal Sodano presented as the third secret a version of his own that in several elements appeared clearly incomplete. It is not surprising that the new Secretary of State, Cardinal Bertone, sought to draw attention away to an event in the past, the assassination attempt on John Paul II on May 13, 1981, to cause the people of God to believe that the words of the Virgin, in 1917 when she appeared, had nothing to do with the crisis of the Church, in the decades after 1960, and the marriage of modernists and Freemasonry that was contracted behind the scenes at the Second Vatican Council. Antonio Sochi, who has carefully investigated the Third Secret, unmasked this harmful behavior on the part of Cardinal Bertone. In addition, it was Bertone himself who heavily discredited and censured the Madonna Dea Lacrime, the Madonna of Tears, Echivi Vecchia, whose message perfectly agrees with what she said at Fatima. Let us not forget Our Lady's unheeded appeal for the Pope and all the bishops to consecrate Russia to her Immaculate Heart, as a condition for the defeat of communism and atheistic materialism. Consecrate not the world, not the nation which you want us to consecrate to you, but Russia. Was it so costly to do that? Evidently so, for those who do not have a supernatural gaze. It was preferred to walk the path of detente with the Soviet regime, inaugurated by Roncalli, Pope John XXIII, whose baptismal name was Angelo Roncalli, himself, without understanding that without God no peace is possible. Today, with a president of the Russian Confederation who is certainly a Christian, the Virgin's request could be granted, averting further misfortunes for the Church and the world. 
Vigano is asked about the recent calling of a new body to investigate women's ordination to the diaconate. Vigano responds, It is not possible, and will never be possible, for the sacred order to be modified in its essence. The attack on the priesthood has always been at the center of the actions of the heretics and their inspirer, and it is understandable why this is the case. A blow to the priesthood means the destruction of the Holy Mass and the Most Holy Eucharist and the entire sacramental edifice. Among the sworn enemies of the, of the sacred order, there were also the modernists, of course, who, from the 19th century on, theorized about a church without priests, or, without, or with priests and priestesses. These delusions, which were foreshadowed by some exponents of modernism in France, subtly reemerged at the council, with an attempt to insinuate a certain equivalence between the ministerial priesthood deriving from holy orders and the common priesthood of the faithful deriving from baptism. It is significant that, precisely by playing on this intentional ambiguity, the Reformed liturgy, i.e. the new Mass introduced after the Council, also suffered from the doctrinal error of Lumen Gentium, and ended up reducing the ordained minister to the status of a simple president of an assembly of priests. To the contrary, the priest is an alter Christus, not by popular designation, but by ontological configuration to the high priest, Jesus Christ, whom he must imitate in the holiness of his life and in his absolute dedication represented also by celibacy. The next step had to necess necessarily be taken, if not by annulling the priesthood itself, at least by making it ineffective by extending it to women, who cannot be ordained. Exactly what happened in the Protestant and Anglican sects, which today also experienced the embarrassing situation of having lesbian female bishops in the so-called Church of England. But it is clear that the ecumenical pretext, that is, drawing closer to dissident communities by acquiring even their most recent errors, is based on Satan's hatred for the priesthood and would inevitably lead the Church of Christ to ruin. On the other hand, ecclesiastical celibacy is also the object of the same attack, because it is distinctive of the Catholic Church, and constitutes a precious defense of the priesthood that tradition has jealously guarded through the centuries. The attempt to introduce a form of ordained female ministry within the church is not recent, despite re repeated statements by the magisterium. John Paul II also unequivocally defined, and with all the canonical requirements of an infallible ex-cathedra decla declaration, that it is absolutely impossible to question the doctrine on this subject, but just as it was possible to fiddle with the catechism to declare the death penalty not in conformity with the gospel, something unheard of and heretical, so today an attempt is being made to create ex novo some form of female diaconate, evidently preparatory for a future introduction of the female priesthood. The first commission created by Bergoglio years ago gave a negative opinion, confirming what should have not even have been the subject of discussion. But if that commission could not obey the wishes of Francis, this does not mean that another commission, whose members, chosen by him, are more docile and relaxed in dem demolishing another pillar of the Catholic faith, may not do so. I do not doubt that Bergoglio has persuasive methods and that he can exert pressure on the theological commission, but I am equally certain that in the unfortunate event that this consulted consultative body were to give a favorable opinion, it would not necessarily require an official declaration by the Pope to see a multiplying of deaconesses in the dioceses of Germany or Holland, with Rome remaining silent. The method is well known, and on the one hand, it makes it possible to strike at the priesthood, while on the other it gives a convenient alibi to those within the ecclesiastical structure who can always appeal to the fact that the Pope has not allowed anything new. 
They did likewise by authorizing the Episcopal conferences to legislate autonomously about communion in the hand, which, imposed by abuse, has now become universal practice. It should be said that this will to promote women in the hierarchy betrays the urge of some movements within the church to follow the modern mentality that has taken away the women's role of mother and wife in order to unhinge the natural family. Let's keep in mind that this approach to the church's dogma confirms an undeniable fact. Bergoglio has adopted the so-called situation theology, whose theological pillars are accidental facts or subjects. The world, nature, the female figure, young people. This theology does not have God's immutable and eternal truth as its founding center. On the contrary, it starts from the observation of whatever is the current pressing need of these phenomena in order to give answers that are consistent with the expectations of the contemporary world. Vigano is asked about how many church historians see Vatican II as a rupture with the past of the church in an effort to turn the church into a humanitarian, non-profit organization. Vigano responds, A church that presents herself as new with respect to the Church of Christ is simply not the Church of Christ. The Mosaic religion, that is, the Church of the Ancient Law, willed by God to lead his people until the coming of the Messiah, had its fulfillment in the New Covenant, and was definitively revoked on Calvary by the sacrifice of Christ. From his rib was born the Church of the New and Eternal Covenant, which replaces the synagogue. It seems that almost the post-conciliar church, modernist and Masonic, aspires to transform, to overcome the Church of Christ, replacing it with a neo-church, a deformed and monstrous creature that does not come from God. The purpose of this neo-church is not to bring the chosen people to recognize the Messiah. It is for the synagogue. It is not to convert and save all the people before the second coming of Christ, as for the Catholic Church, but to constitute itself as the spiritual arm of the new world order and an advocate of universal religion. In this sense, the Second Vatican Council's revolution first had to demolish the Church's heritage, its millenary tradition, from which she drew her vitality and authority as the mystical body of Christ, then free herself from the exponents of the old hierarchy. And only recently has this revolution begun to offer itself without pretense for what it intends to be. What you call utopia is actually a dystopia, because it represents the concretization of Freemasonry's plans and the preparation for the advent of the Antichrist. I am also convinced that the majority of my brethren, and even so almost all the priests and faithful, are absolutely unaware of this hellish plan, and that recent events have opened many people's eyes. Their faith will allow our Lord to gather the Pulsulus Grex, the little flock, around the true shepherd before the final confrontation. Vigano is asked about the possibility of the Church in the future overturning the Second Vatican Council. Vigano responds, I believe that there is no lack of eminent personalities who have expressed, better than me, critical viewpoints of the Council. There are those who believe that it would be less complicated and certainly wiser to follow the practice of the Church and the Popes as it, as it applied to the Synod of Pistoia, a, dioc a diocesan synod in Pistoia, Italy, in 1786, later condemned on five points by Pope Pius VI in Rome on August 28, 1794. There were some, something good in the Synod as well, but the errors it affirmed were considered sufficient to let it fall into oblivion. Vigano is asked about the Pact of the Catacombs, and if the current pontificate is the personification of the Second Vatican Council. Vigano responds, As is the case with every revolution, the heroes of the first hour often end up falling victim to their own system, as Robespierre did. 
One who yesterday was judged to be the standard bearer of the conciliar spirit today appears almost to be a conservative. The examples are before everyone's eyes. And they are, are there, and they are already those who, in the intellectual circles of progressivism, such as the one frequented by certain Massimo Fagioli, haughty in his first name and ungrammatical in his surname, start spreading here and there some doubts about Bergoglio's real ability to make courageous choices. For example, to abolish celibacy, to admit women to the priesthood, or to legitimize communion in sacred things, that is, the Eucharist, with heretics, almost hoping that he would step aside to elect a pope even more obedient to those elites who had in the catacombs and in the St. Gallen Mafia their most unscrupulous and determined followers. The final question concerns those priests and bishops who have functionally abandoned the flock in the crisis in the church, leaving most of us to fend for ourselves spiritually. Vigano responds, My words would certainly be inadequate. What I limit myself to doing is repeating the words of our Lord, the eternal word of the Father. Behold, I am with you every day until the consummation of the ages. We feel isolated, of course, but didn't the apostles and all Christians feel this way as well? Did not our Lord even feel abandoned in Gethsemane? These are the times of trial, perhaps the final trial. We must drink the bitter cup, and even if it is human to implore the Lord to let it pass from us, we must repeat confidently, not my will, but yours, remembering his comforting words. In the world you will have tribulations, but have courage, for I have conquered the world. After the trial, no matter how hard and painful, the eternal prize is prepared for us, which no one can take away from us. The church will shine again with the glory of her Lord after this terrible and pro prolonged Easter Tritium. But if prayer is certainly indispensable, we must also not fail to fight the good fight, making ourselves the witnesses to a courageous militancy under the banner of the cross of Christ. Let us not find ourselves being pointed out as the handmaiden did with St. Peter in the high priest's courtyard. You too were one of his followers, only to then deny Christ. Let us not be intimidated. Let us not allow the gag of tolerance to be placed on those who want to proclaim the truth. Let us ask the Blessed Virgin Mary that our tongue may proclaim with courage the kingdom of God and his justice. Let the miracle of Lapa be renewed. When Mary Most Holy gave the word to little Joanna, born mute. May she also give voice to us, her children, who for too long have been mute. Our Lady of Fatima, Queen of Victories, Ora Pro Nobis.